my hope and my prayer is that as we end the story out of the book of Judges of the life of Samson, that again God would be at work in our lives. Judges 14, we're introduced to Manoah and his wife, and they are told in a time where things aren't going good for the nation of Israel and things aren't going good for them because they are barren and are unable to have children, that God says that he is going to bring a leader, a deliverer, and that deliverer and leader is going to be none other than their own son who is about to be born. God gives conditions to Manoah and his wife that his wife is to be very careful during the time that she is pregnant, to stay away from strong drink, and then when the boy is born, he is to become a Levite. That is, he is to commit himself utterly to the Lord, not touch anything unclean, not involve himself with alcohol, and no one is to touch his hair. And so Manoah and his wife do that. Samson is born. We're introduced to Samson for the very first time. We did that on Monday, and we see that Samson's beginning is not a very good one. About 15, 20 years into his life, we see him disobeying mom and dad, doing the very things that he shouldn't do. He's playing around with sin, and he's having a sport with his life. And little does he know the damage that is about to befall him. As a result of that, he goes his own way, seeks to marry a woman who is a Philistine, the marked enemies of the nation of Israel. And while he is in the process of getting married, during the wedding celebration, he makes a bet with the 30 groomsmen that were given to him, and it involves a riddle. And it has to do with what he had done in the vineyard where he shouldn't have been, playing around the carcass of a dead lion that he had killed, and he tells this riddle, and the guys don't understand it. And for three days, they try to figure it out because on the hook is 30 pieces of clothing, 30 suits. And they want to win against Samson, and they want their suits, and they can't figure it out. So they go to Samson's wife, and they find out the riddle of the story, and they come back and they win. Of course, that inflames Samson. Samson goes and kills 30 innocent men, steals their clothing, and then brings those clothes back to them. As a result of that, what we learned yesterday was that there was this tit-for-tat battle going back and forth like a game of tennis or ping-pong of revenge from Samson to the Philistines and the Philistines to Samson and back and forth escalating people being killed, people's property being destroyed, and in the end, nothing changes. Samson hates the Philistines, the Philistines hate Samson, and we find ourselves back to the same spot we were at before. Now, before we get into chapter 16, I had two individuals come and ask me a question yesterday that was so incredibly insightful that I told them that I wanted to respond to that question and I wanted to do publicly because I wonder if some others are wondering this as well. And it has to do with the subject of revenge. We spent a lot of time talking about that as Christians, we should not be involved in revenge against enemies and those who hurt us. What was very clear in their question was a part of the omission in my message, and I want to correct that omission that was there. I never told you that revenge is a sinful, 
personal vendetta that goes outside of God's plan of righting wrongs and puts it in your court. So when we talk about revenge, what I am not saying is that someone hurts you and you call the police because a crime is being committed. That's not revenge. That is what we are called to do. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, revenge is not when someone is hassling or harassing you at school or at work. You don't tell someone else to try to rectify the situation. Revenge is saying, I am going to do to that person back what they have done to me. Does that make sense? It is sinful. It is personal and it seeks to hurt in the same measure how you have been hurt. It is mimicking the abuse, the pain, um, the hurt that has been done to you. All you are doing is turning the tables and doing the same thing to them. So I want to make this clear. If someone has broken the law against you, it is right and it is fitting for you as a Christian to go to the God-ordained authorities, which is the government, the police, and the uh, groups that are there for our good to um, hold the law and to bring justice. That is a right and godly thing. That is a gift God has given. And if that means talking to a teacher, talking to an adult, talking to someone else, that is the right thing to do. What I was talking about was the personal vendetta of turning the tables on your enemy and giving them back what they gave you in the first place. God, in his word, is against that. And God says that we need to leave that kind of personal revenge in his hands. Does that make sense? Okay, great question. I love that question. And I want you to know that question came from two individuals under the age of 21. Isn't that awesome? Okay, they're thinking, they're listening. I'm so glad that they came. And so when you have questions tonight, come and talk to me and I'll have Mike Linden address them tomorrow. All right, Judges 16, the last chapter in the life of Samson. I want you to notice a couple things. We're going to see that Samson has now lived 20 years since the last time we've seen him. Notice at the end of uh, Judges 15, after all that revenge has taken place, the text tells us that Samson judged Israel. That is, he governed, he led over Israel for 20 years. So if he was about 15 or 20, when he um, asked for that girl's hand in marriage that we learned about in uh, verse four, or chapter 14, now another 20 years has gone. I want you to think uh, this individual is probably 35 to 40 years of age. Now, I want you to be honest. Who in our midst is in the age group of 35 to 40? A man. Who's closest to that? Give me someone who's 35 to 40. Who are we pointing to? Andy Zorger, stand up. Micah, you are too, right? Two, man, you guys, just Andy? No, both of you stand up. I want you to look at what 35 to 40-year-old men look like. Okay? All right, so stand up for a second. Okay? Real quick, because this is going to be important in a couple moments. Uh, how many years, Mike, have you been married? Uh, 15. 15. How long? 16, okay. 
How long you been working? You've been working for a while, right? How long you been in your jobs? 14? Okay. Well, just... Mm, mm, mm. Okay. I like what's going on here. Okay. You feel like both of you guys are adults. You're... you're right? You feel like you've been around, around the bend a couple times. Okay. But you still feel young, right? You didn't play volleyball? Or you did? Oh, you did. There you go. Okay. All right. So will we all agree these guys are, are old guys in the first rows? They're old dudes, right? Okay, now before they sit down, they should know better, right? Right? They're old guys, adults, they should know better, right? Yeah, okay, you can sit down. That's who we're looking at today, all right? Very similar physiques as Samson. They don't have the hair like Samson, thank you, Micah, all right? This guy is 35 to 40 years of age. Now, let's stop here for a second. And before we get into this, in one chapter, we are going to see Samson die. Samson, by the end of this chapter, is dead. And it brings the question tonight, at whatever age you are, when this life is done... What will the people around you say about you? We're going to see at the end of the text, Samson dies and his family and his brothers, we hadn't even heard he had brothers, his brothers come and they take him and bury him. In that moment, when you die, whether it is tomorrow or 150 tomorrows to come, What will the people closest to you say about you? Now, I know the gray hairs think about that a lot more than the ones up close here. But I want to tell you something. Back in 1990, when I was 14 years of age, I had an older brother who was 16, and he was killed in a car accident. We don't know when our life is going to be done. I don't think Samson, at the beginning of chapter 16, thinks by the end of this chapter, I am going to be dead. And so we have to be ready for that day of our death. And the question is, what will people around us say about us, one? Number two, what will a watching world around us say about us as they look back at our life? And number three, most important, what will God say about you? What will God say about your decisions? What will God say about your activities? What will God say about your thoughts and your thinking and how you treated people? What will God say about the gifts and abilities that he gave you, the opportunities he gave you at the end of your life? What will God, who is the most important person that you need to ask this question about, what will he say about you? And there are two things that he will say of you. Either you failed, you failed to do what he had called you to do, you failed to live up to the potential that God gave you, you failed to use the opportunities that he laid before you, you failed to use the strength and the abilities that he so wonderfully and benevolently put within you, or two, that you will be found faithful. The Bible says when faithful people enter their rest in heaven, 
Jesus says of them, well done, good and faithful servant. So whether you are young or old today, what will God say about you? Will he see your life as a failure or will he see your life as faithful? We're going to use Judges 16 to walk through this. And I'm just going to start working through the text, and I'm going to address different parts and different things, and hopefully what I share with you will help you to make sure you do not fail in the end, but are proven faithful, all right? So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 16, the text makes it clear of what's transpiring. Remember, He has judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait until light of the morning Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose. He took the hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts. He pulled them up, bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hills that is in front of Hebron. What he did was every city had gates, it had walls. He took the gates of the city, kind of the major defense mechanism of the city, He tore them off, kind of like one football team with another pranking them homecoming weekend, taking the mascot, if you will, and he took it to a high place and he set it there, proving his strength and ability, in essence, mocking them that they were defenseless against Samson. Now, let's stop there for a moment and let's address the first thing. There is a truth that we need to know. Truth number one is we will fail in the present if we don't learn from the past. You and I as individuals will fail today if we don't learn lessons from our past. Now, for those that are sitting in the back half of the auditorium here, that's easy. We've got, we're on the back nine of the golf course. We've, we've messed up. We've known on different holes that we've come to that we've blown it. And we've bogeyed them along the way and say, I'm not going to do that again. But for the younger ones around us, you've got to listen to the older individuals. and You've got to look at the Bible, which serves as reminders from the past so that you don't make those same decisions. You don't have those same failures. So the first failure we see in the present that he should have learned from the past has to do with his issue of lust. Write this down. Truth number one. Your sexuality is a gift from God, so guard it with all your might. Your sexuality is a gift from God, so guard it with all your might. The text tells us that this 35 to 40-year-old man, this guy who knows better, This guy who has walked life and done life goes to a foreign town and he picks up a prostitute. That is, he pays somebody to love him. How 
odd is that? I have to pay you to love me. And so Samson goes to this woman he's never met before, and her occupation, her profession, is she receives money from men so that she can love them. Now, Samson has for some time longed for, desired for love. But not the kind of love that God says that a good wife will give, caring love, nurturing love, ministering love uh, to her husband. This is a lust. Samson now, for his entire adulthood, has struggled with this issue with regards to his sensuality, his sexuality. He isn't guarding it. And notice what the enemy is doing. While he is involved in his sin, his enemies are setting up an ambush. Notice it says, they surrounded the place and set an ambush, verse 2. And they waited for him all night saying, we will wait till morning and then we'll kill him. Now you say, well, listen, Tim, that's great that I see it in the text. Samson went to a prostitute. That's no good, but I don't have to worry about that. I've never done that. I'm not planning on doing that. I mean, let's be honest. If this be clear, uh, that isn't, um, isn't altogether available where we live and, and where we're at. You don't see a lot of prostitution. It's there, but let's face it, it's just not something that's all that available. So right away we would say, dum-dum Samson, I would never do that. Write this down. Prostitution yesterday is the equivalent of pornography today. You could change that and say that Samson involved himself in pornography. Pornography is sensuality that you pay for. It's not free. It's not between a husband and wife. It's, it's something that you pay for. This person, male or female, is being paid to do something for your enjoyment. And it is prevalent today. It is prevalent. And it is warping our view of what God has designed and what he has said is good and what should be found in the confines of marriage. And it is destroying men and women alike, young and old alike. And right away someone will say, and I know I'm being very careful with my words right now because of our audience, but I believe this is so important to say, well, you say, well, it's not that big of a problem. Let me tell you just last month, Last month, according to a survey, not a survey, but a study that was done of all of the website searches that are done in America just last month, of the top 25 websites that are viewed, six of them are pornographic. Those six sites alone had 7.3 billion searches with an average watch time of 11 minutes. That's the top six adult websites. I'm not going to tell you what they are. If you think I was going to, you're dumb. Okay? That averages, okay? Mathematicians, if you want to check my math, that averages to every single American, 370 million Americans, 
on average, searching those sites almost 20 times in the last month. We have an issue with, like Samson does, we have an issue with our sexuality. If there is an issue today that we as a people, young and old, male and female, are dealing with, it is this. Now, the encouraging thing is, is it's not new. Samson here cannot get his sexuality under control, and it finds him, and he cannot overcome it. And some of you maybe, and by the way, notice there's no mention that anybody's with him. In fact, he doesn't tell anybody that he's going. He's always by himself. But I want you to know the enemy knows where he's at. The enemy sees it. And some of us right now, with regards to our sexuality, we're, we're playing around with things. We're, we're tempted and we're giving in to things, and we think nobody knows. Nobody will ever find out. And the devil is licking his chops right now and saying, young man, young woman, old man, old woman, you're giving yourself. Now, now by the way, that's just the top six adult websites. There's hundreds of thousands probably of other ones that doesn't include all the stuff that you see on TikTok videos and social media platforms. Can you believe, and this is the amazing stat that was given, if you put all of our streaming of Hulu, YouTube uh, TV, um, Netflix, Spotify, Pandora, if you put those next to it, all of the streaming we do from a media standpoint is dwarfed by the adult content that we're looking at on the internet. That doesn't include movies, it doesn't include uh, written material, all the stuff. It's all out there, and if we don't get a handle on it, notice what the enemy wants to do with our sexuality. The Philistines say, we're going to kill him. He's out doing his thing right now, and we're going to wait to kill him. I want you to know right now, this generation that's growing up right now, The battle you are going to fight with the devil is in the arena of sexuality. That's the ballgame. That's the issue. And the devil has picked, and he says, this is the battle, and that wasn't always the battle. There's been other battles, and this battle isn't better or worse than the other one, but this is the battle. And so what you need to do, young people, is you need to look at the past. You need to look at what people have to say and hear how people's lives have been destroyed because they've allowed their sexuality to get the best of them, and as a result of that, they've missed out on the gift that it was supposed to be. So let me just tell you what the gift is supposed to be. Sexuality is to be a gift that is experienced between a husband and wife. I put it this way. It is the concrete that binds that husband and wife together. And so when you start binding using such an adhesive like sexuality to a relationship, when that relationship breaks up, it's very hard to break that kind of connection up. And what you have to do is you've got to take a sledgehammer to it and it just crumbles away. And a lot of us have experienced 
the crumbling of our lives because we have adhered or affixed ourselves to another person through sexual relations. And as a result of that, we find ourselves in our lives crumbling away. Be very careful. Your God has gifted you a gift. Guard it with all you have. You will be happy. You will be filled with joy if you will hear those words. He didn't, and it gets him into trouble. Number two from this, okay? Number two, your struggles don't go away with age. Your struggles don't go away with age, so slay them before they ruin you. Samson knows better. And right away, I know there are some, I used to think this, well, I can't wait until I grow up because I know grown-ups don't have issues with their sin. And at some point when you get to Mr. Zorger and Mr. Tesdell's age, sin stops being a problem for you. And so you're sitting in the front rows here and you're thinking, I just got to get to 25 or 30 and then, and then there's no problems. Listen to me. No, that's not what happens. What happens is, is old people have a better way of hiding it than young people do. And so here's Samson again, and he's dealing with the same problems, the same issues, the same struggles, and he hasn't gone over it. And so what I want you to all know is, listen, today is the day, we all have our struggles, we all have our issues, today is the day that we need to slay the things that the devil and this world and your flesh want to take and destroy you with. We've seen his anger get the best of him. We've seen his impulse get the best of him. We've seen his lust get the best of him. We've seen instant gratification get the best of him. And now he's almost 40 years of age, and the same issues, the same struggles, the same sins are alive and well. One reformer wrote it this way, we need to put to death sin our sins of the flesh we need to strangle them we need to rid them of the breath that allows them to breathe so that we will be freed once and for all what is your struggle today if you think that just in a couple years it will be gone you will be sadly mistaken The same things, the same struggles, the same issues that I dealt with when I was your age are alive and well in this 46-year-old pastor's life. And I've come to realize that if I don't kill those things in my life, listen to me very carefully, they will kill me. And they will kill you. Your struggles don't go away. You better slay them before they ruin you. Next. Notice, we get into now another timestamp, verse 4. After this, after what? After this night of passion and after this time where he leaves Gaza. Now notice, Samson's flying high right now. He's just had a wonderful night of love. He leaves at midnight. They're waiting for him at uh, morning, and he's already gone, and he's taken the gate of the city, so he's feeling really good. I've gotten my sin, nobody was aware of it, and now I've made my enemies look dumb. 
Now notice what happens. After this, notice what it says. After this, he loved a woman. This is the first time that Samson has ever said or been said of him that he loved somebody. Even of the woman he was about to marry, all he says is, I've got to have her. All he says is, I've seen her. Now we've got Samson saying, I love her. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that when he says he loves her, he loves her. He likes everything about her. Yes, she's beautiful, but he wants to be with her. He, he wants to live life with her. And it notice this woman is from the valley of Sorek, and her name was Delilah. And so, word gets out. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, seduce him. See, they know where his weak spot is. Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Let's stop there. We're never told, listen, that Delilah loves Samson. Do you see what happens? What we do to others, others begin to do to us. There's a proverb that says, you dig a hole, watch out, you may fall into it. You roll a rock up a mountain, be careful that it doesn't fall back on top of you. This is the principle here. What you have done, be careful that it doesn't get thrown back on you. Samson loved Delilah, but nowhere does it say that she loves him. And notice the Philistines, the enemy knows where Samson can be played with his lust, and notice they know where Delilah can be played. Notice what it is, money. So write this down. The devil's strategy is to attack you with whatever attracts you the most. So some of you right now are saying, you know, I'm glad I am not Samson. I don't look at those websites. I don't have those types of feelings. I am, man, I am free and clear. Well, notice we're introduced to Delilah, and Delilah's issue isn't per se sensuality. Notice it's money. She's driven by money, which tells me that there's a variety of things, all equal in sin. There's a variety of things that we have at our disposal that get our attention. And for some, maybe today, you're like, man, I feel what Samson's feeling. That's my battle. And now this new one has come, this issue of money. And the Bible's full of all these things that are disobedient. In fact, we invent ways of doing evil. We, we find ways to rebel against God. And here is Delilah saying, I'll do anything for money. It's no different than what Samson says. He says, I'll do anything for sex. And so here are these two individuals, both sinners, both struggling with sin, but struggling with different sins. That's why we shouldn't judge one another harshly, because one person struggles with one thing you don't. We're all in the same war, we are just got different battlefronts we're waging that war. 
And so we need to recognize that and we need to see that. So notice the story continues to go on. She takes the money and she goes, verse 6, and says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that no one could subdue you. Now, how is she doing this? Go back to verse 5. She's doing it with seduction. So she's doing whatever she needs to to get this answer from her uh, boyfriend. They're not husband and wife. They're boyfriend and girlfriend. And Samson says to her, listen, if you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound bound him with them. She had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, in the bedroom. That's crazy. This is how dumb Samson is, right? There's men in the bedroom. He doesn't even know it, okay? And they're ready for him, okay? And she says to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as the thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Now you would have thought, You would have thought that Samson would have figured it out. Wait a minute, woman. You're not for me. You're against me. I gave you this information. This was a secret between us. And then all of a sudden, these Philistines jump out from behind the dresser, and they try to take me. This is how dumb we can be when our appetites are getting the best of us. So we go on. And she keeps asking. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, and the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off and his arms, off the, the ropes off his arms like a thread. Number two, same situation. So Delilah says to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. He said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, and he pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say that you love me when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged his soul, urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Here's the woman nagging again. Remember the last one? Nagging away. And so seduction is gone. She is incessant every moment. Why won't you tell me? Why won't you tell me? You don't love me. You don't care about me. And so here's the thing. Here is the crazy thing. Strike one, strike two, strike three. And it's not dawned on Samson 
that he is getting himself in a heap of trouble. Can it be said of you today, can it be said of you today that you're in the midst of those three strikes as Samson was? God is warning Samson. And Samson's blowing through it three times. His girlfriend asks, tell me the secret to your strength. Samson lies, gives her an answer, and dudes come jumping out at him. You would have thought the first time he would have figured it out. He doesn't. You would have thought the second time he would have figured it out. You would have thought the third time he would figure it out. And you're like, my goodness, there cannot be a more stupid man in all of the world than Samson. But I'm here to tell you that if I look back at my life and at different times, God gave me one warning, God gave me two warnings, God gave me three warnings, and I blew by them one after another. And maybe that warning is the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, stay away from that. Maybe it's a faithful friend saying maybe you shouldn't go there. Maybe it's a, a beginning consequence to maybe some the same action that you're involved in now, and you're blowing through warning after warning, and you're not listening and you're not hearing God, and little by little, the enemy, the devil, your enemy, is standing at the door, and the book of 1 Peter says he is seeking to devour you. And so when that consequence comes, you're like, I didn't know it was going to happen. What's going on? This is such a surprise to me. And one after another, you'll look back and say, I should have known then, I should have known then, and I should have known then, and now here is where I'm at. So, She presses him, she presses him, she presses him, and notice what happens. So we see within that, he says this, and he told her all his heart. If if it's your Bible you're looking at, if you want to underline something there, all his heart, he became completely vulnerable to him, to her. He told her everything. He gave away his secret. He gave away all that God had given to him. Jesus gives us a principle that I want you to see in this text. Do not lay your pearls before swine. What that is is don't give your treasure to people who will trample on it. Samson is laying his pearls, the most valuable thing he has before a person who is going to trample on it. And here's why. And I want you to get this and understand this. The reason why he does this is because of what is declared. um, Let me find the place where it says it of her. Uh, Verse 4. He loved her. He had fallen in love with a woman who did not love him. And some here today have given something of great treasure to someone who has taken it and used it and left you worse off than you were before. That's not love. And they've done so, listen to me, through seduction and through nagging. 
So girls, when your boyfriend says, but everybody else is doing it, or that's what dating people do, and come on, don't you love me, don't you care for me, and we can flip-flop it, maybe it's the girls with the guys, young people, when that's being said, I want Samson's story to come to mind. They don't love you because if they did love you, then they would wait for you. She wants it, and the reason why she wants it is because she's got a sin. She wants 1,100 pieces of silver, and until she gets the answer, she's not getting it, and he divulges all of who he is. He is, for the first time, truly intimate with another person, with another woman, and he tells her all that is in his heart. So what does he say? Verse 17. And he told her all that was in his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God. By the way, he's never declared that to anybody, which is probably a problem. He never declared that, in essence, I'm a follower of God. I'm committed to the Lord. He says, I've been this way from my mother's womb. So if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak. And be like any other man. He's given away all that he has. And notice what happens. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she knew what she had gotten. Listen to what she does. This man tells her the deepest secrets of his heart. She doesn't say, hey, thank you for sharing this. This helps me to love you more, to care for you. This helps me to understand who you are as a person. As soon as she hears it, notice she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, said, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. He, she, she took what he had and she shares it with everyone else. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the, the money in their hands She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. This is the woman he loves. And now she's tormenting him. The idea here is that he is so weak and so um, frail as she begins to mock him. So something happened, something, and and it's hard to know, commentators, in essence what happened is, is she's mocking him for what he says he is, and something she knows, whatever it is, it's the truth, it is taking place, and so notice what she does. She wakes him up, and she says, I will go out, as at other times, and shake myself. I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. She began to to torment them, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. They're the guys again. They're there. And this time he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But here's the thing you should underline. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And so the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. They had him ground at the mill in prison. And so let's stop there. So, next lesson. Loving the world. Loving the world blinds you from seeing that God has left you. 
Samson was too busy trusting other people instead of trusting God. Samson was too busy feeding his appetite instead of following God. Samson was too busy loving the world that he had upon him. This, and, and this is really important. You see, Samson knew what God had promised to him. You're a Nazarite. You will always have this strength. And Samson presumed upon the grace and mercy of God. Maybe you have for a long time been a Christian and you have had it drilled in your head that once you are saved, you are always saved. And that is a truth. That is a truth. If you are truly saved, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But that passage was never used, can never be used as a license for sin. And some of you are saying, you know what, I got my fire insurance, and so I can live however I want. And Samson's like, I can do whatever I want. Be with a prostitute, now be with Delilah. I can fraternize any way I want, and God is still going to save me. And I want you to know something. God will save Samson in the end. That is true. But the journey that Samson has to go through is going to cause him incredible pain. And so notice, the consequences of our sin are serious. So don't be stupid. So Samson's played around with sin, and notice what happens. I want you to write down five things that happens as a result of Samson's sin. Number one, mutilation. Mutilation. They gouged out his eyes. Literally, they took his eyeballs out of his head. He would never see again. How, appro- how appropriate. What was Samson's sin? His lust. Where does lust start? The lust of the eyes. Many times the consequence of our sins will usually come back to us in what we pursued. And so he's mutilated as a result. And the pain, think about your eyes being ripped out of your head. I'm telling you, they didn't do that under sedation. They grabbed them and they ripped them out. The pain, the utter torture that must have been. So they gouge out his eyes, mutilation. Number two, deportation. They bring him down, the text says. They bring him down to Gaza. Notice, notice, they take him to the very place where we started in this chapter where he sinned. It's amazing. The last time he was in Gaza, he was having a great time. The second time he's in Gaza, he is wanting to die. He's deported. He's brought down. Number three, incarceration. He's put into shackles. He is bonded uh, in bondage as a result. He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. We don't know how long that is, but he is seized. He's bound. And now he's grinding mill in the prison. Grinding mill was the job of an oxen. So they're making sport of him, and he's just standing just in a circle and just pushing this thing that then is grinding uh, at the mill, grinding the grain. 
And his life is just in one circle, just going all day long, kind of like a hamster on a wheel, and he just keeps doing it. And that's his life. And notice what the text tells us. It says that in verse 23, the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw it, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. The final two things that the consequences of our sins will bring is humiliation, humiliation, and the enemy's exaltation. So they make sport of him. They laugh at him. They have him perform. We don't know what he did, but obviously they did. Whatever they did made them laugh. They loved it. And here's the even greater thing. They praised their God because of his demise. Do you know the world loves it when Christians fail? They love it. There's another Christian blowing it. There's another Christian doing something stupid. And they are the ones who tell us they've got it all figured out. They got nothing. They're just like us. They just try to hide it better than they do. And here they are praising Dagon, this this God of theirs. And they are so excited. And they are merry. They're celebrating because Samson, listen, has failed. And so we go back to where we're at. At the end of your life, will you be known as a failure? Samson has shown us that path. And some of you right now, are walking down that road that will inevitably lead you to be a failure. And you're going to get there. And the only person you are going to be able to rightly blame is yourself. Because you made choices, you did things, there were warnings and you blew right by them, you pushed away any good godly wisdom, and you want to blame God, you want to blame your parents, you want to blame society, you want to blame your upbringing, you want to blame everything, and here the only person that is to blame for where he's at at this moment is Samson himself. And if we were to close out this, we would leave brokenhearted because a life that started so well has ended so badly. And listen, I love you too much and your families love you too much and your pastors love you too much and your counselors and your friends, your real friends love you too much and God loves you too much for you to be a failure. God did not create you and me to be failures. And so as Samson is going through all of this, making his life an abject failure, I want you to see what God is doing. Notice, he did not know, verse 20, that God had left him. Samson is oblivious to God's working in his life. 
And some of us are oblivious to what God is doing in our lives. But notice, God's got a plan. God committed himself to Samson, even though Samson hadn't committed himself to God. And notice the most refreshing, the most gracious, the most glorious statement is found in verse 22. But the hair of Samson's head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson allowed that hair that had grown for 40 years to be cut off because of his stupidity. God said, I am the God of second chances. And the hair began to grow and the power began to enter back into Samson's body and he didn't even know it, but it was there. And what we are going to find out is that there is in our lives as well a second chance. You don't have to be a failure. So how are you found faithful? Number two, write this down. We can be found faithful if, if, we can be found faithful if, circle, underline, capitalize, if, You can hear this message and say, I'm going to be different if there's some things to be done, if we will put God first in our priorities. The difference between failure and faithful is a decision of you and me to get serious about our walk with God. And here's the gracious thing. It can start today. It can start after all the consequences of your life have come. You have made dumb decisions and all of those consequences are there. Your eyes are gouged out. You're bound. You've been humiliated. Your enemies are lording it over you. And you're like, man, nothing good is happening. And in the weakest spot of Samson's life, God proved himself to be strong. And God wants to do that in your life. If... You will get serious about your relationship with God. So let me close with three things that I want you to be thinking through. Number one, God gives each of us strength. Are you going to use it for yourself? Or are you going to use it for the Savior? God has given, God had given Samson a unique gift. But he's not the only one who's been gifted a unique gift. Every man, woman, and child has been given, has been created by God to be a change agent in this world. There's no one like you. God has uniquely brought you into this world for you to be the real you and to bestow upon the world around you great blessing. But you've got to make a decision. Am I going to take all the good God gives me and use it for myself, use it for my glory, use it for my accolades, or am I going to take what God has given me and use it for the use of my Savior? His hair begins to grow. God's promise remained faithful no matter Samson's rebellion 
And God's promises are true for us. He doesn't say, okay, you no longer can do it. He says over and over again, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let us remember when Jesus was on the cross, that murderer and robber that was next to him had no opportunity to do anything. He couldn't clean up his life. He's hanging on a cross. But he believed in Jesus and he put in that moment Jesus first. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's not too late. Make God your priority. Number two, serving God is going to demand sacrifice. It's going to demand sacrifice in this life. But God promises splendor in the next. Notice verses uh, 25 through 27. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which this house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there and and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Samson knows now. It's got to be God, not him. He's weak. He needs to lean against something. And he comes to the conclusion I've got to do something. And so notice verse 28. He calls on the Lord. He calls on the Lord. This is the second time in all his life he has prayed what is recorded in Scripture. The first time he pouts. The second time he prays a prayer, and it connects with the statement that I just made. Serving God is going to demand sacrifice in this life. Notice what the first step of sacrifice is. Write this down. My first thing to do is to say to God, use me as you see fit. So Samson prays, oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me this only this once. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars of which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him. They brought him and they buried him. They buried him right with his dad. And it says that he had judged Israel for 20 years. Samson prayed a prayer. Lord, use me. Strengthen me to use me. And I will do whatever you want to be done. Even... If it means I have to die. Even if it means I have to die. I'm willing to do it because now I know you are God. What you see in that prayer is Samson 
fully recognizing that he's a child of God, fully recognizing that he is on mission for God. So he does it. And he knocks down the building and he vanquishes once and for all. All of the generals, all of the leaders of the Philistine in that one place are put to death. And he has vanquished and brought peace to his land and to his people. He has done what God has wanted. But it would cost him his life. And I want you to know today, if you want to do what God wants of you, it will cost you and it will cost me our lives. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to die, physically die doing it. But the Bible says Jesus commands us, if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That is, we are to die daily to ourselves and to follow Jesus, and that's what Samson prays, and that's what Samson does, and he vanquishes once and for all the Philistines from the land of the Israelites. He dies, and his family comes, and they take him away. And what you see is this failure of a man has a very faithful God. And maybe today you are a failure The world tells you it, your parents tell you it, your boss tells you it, your teachers tell you it, everybody around you tells you it, you yourself tell yourself it, and I want you to know that that isn't the case for anyone who will pray to God and who will say to God, use me as you see fit. And if you are willing to do that, my last point is this. God promises to take away our ugly messes and to make them utterly magnificent. We never hear of Samson again in the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't talk about Samson in the New Testament. We don't hear of Samson in the Gospels. We don't see Samson written about in Paul's letters to the churches. We don't hear the book of Acts talk about Samson. We don't hear Peter and John talk about Samson. But Samson is mentioned one more time in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we have what is called the Hall of Faith. The writer of Hebrews writes this chapter, and in essence, he says, these are the hall of famers. These are the great men and women. These are the ones who did it right. These aren't the failures. These are the faithful. And I want to read to you after he speaks. Let me just tell you of some of the people he speaks about. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Moses, Joseph, David, Samuel. He says this, And what shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, and Samson. Samson is written in the hall of faith. And Samson is commended for his faith. 
his faith that he was able to know that the world was created by the word of God. This faith that made it possible for Samson as a failure to please God. Listen to me, church, what I'm saying, and I will be done here in one minute. If you want to be known at the end of your life as a faithful person, God says, I'll get you there. God says, you don't have to worry about it. I'll give you everything you need. You'll be able to accomplish everything that I ask of you. All you need to do is make a decision today. Today, God. Today, Jesus. Use me as you see fit. And I will tell you, he will change your life. As a young person, after dealing with the consequences of my sin, after feeling like an abject failure, I prayed that prayer and I am blown away of what I used to be and what I am now. And it isn't because I did it right. It's because as a failure, I trusted a faithful God. And if you will trust that God, Look out at the great things he will do. Samson lived 99.9% of his life as a failure. But God took that 0.1%. And what is the last word of Samson? He's a hall of famer. He is to be commended. And God wants you to be a hall of famer and to be commended for your faith. And the question is today, Will you pray that prayer? Use me as you see fit.